Um, good. I am in the car with my grandmother. We are on our way to Georgia. I actually left Jacksonville this morning, so um, I I just casually waved to you as we drove down oh, 95. Well, yeah. <laughs> can I, uh, hi, Grandma. Can she hear me? Hello there. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> well, welcome to Preacher Lab for preachers just like you and I. And today I get to talk with Megan Killingsworth, who is the co-pastor at First United Methodist Church, Sanford. Megan, thanks for, for joining the Preacher Lab. Well, I'm so glad to be here in this like hall of fame of all these preachers I so <laughs> admire. I I just, it's so cool. Thanks for pulling all these people who have been incredible teachers to me together. Um, now I will just mumble some random junk I've probably heard from somebody else because <laughs> My goodness, uh, what a cool group you've pulled together. I think that's what we all do, mumble things that we've heard from other people and try to put them together <laughs> like puzzle pieces. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Megan, I know you're preaching this week. What are you preaching on? Where are you headed? Where are you going? So right now we're in a series called New Year Old Faith. Our focus was really on how do we find what grounds us um, in a world that can feel like it's changing all the time. Um, our congregation is made up of, uh, I should just tell you now, um, I, my congregation is incredible and I love them. So you're going to hear me, you know, gaga over them. But anyway, our congregation is a lot of folks who've been in um, the faith for a really long time. And then uh, a good number of folks who are pretty new to faith or who've been burned by the church. Um, and so it's really an interesting group to find a way to um, create something meaningful for that group. So uh, we felt like at the beginning of the year, we needed to create something that um, helped people find grounding in a world that can seem um, like shifting sand sometimes. And so our series is on uh, the way that we can be anchored in a historic faith and that that anchoring um, doesn't hold us back where we're grounded, um, we have a firm foundation so that we can be missionally connected in the community, um, so that we can serve the role of a local church in our neighborhood, so that we can grow and learn and change and hope. And um, yeah, so this week we, we've done so far um, scripture uh, as a, a tool that grounds us, obviously, um, creeds. And this week we're preaching on the, sac I'm preaching on the sacraments. Um, and then we'll have uh, mystics, we'll have community, and we'll have hymns. So just what are some spiritual formation tools that people can have um, that create a firm foundation for our faith? Oh, that I'm, I'm interested in. Oh my gosh, that sounds so interesting. Um, okay, so, so you're preaching on sacraments this week. Yes. Um, so what is, what, how, where are you, where are you going specifically with sacraments? Are you, are you going to do the sacrament, both sacraments that we have or? So we are, we did a baptismal renewal service a couple weeks ago and had just a really incredible response. So my focus this week will be predominantly on communion. Um, and we've, I'm using two new Testament texts. We usually have an old Testament and a new Testament, but this week we will, um, we're reading from John six, which harkens back to manna. So, you know, there's like a ringing in the ears of the old Testament stories. And then the first Corinthians passage, um, 
where Paul's like, hey, you guys get together and you have communion, but you basically like embarrass people who don't have enough by eating your own food at communion. That's not God's supper. Like if you want to eat your own meals, eat in your own house. God's community is about eating together and sharing and, and the formation that happens when we when we're in that sacramental space. So with those two texts, um, I'm, I'm um, talking about the way that sacraments are like a lens for us. So uh, earlier in the John 6 chapter, um, the whole chapter 6 is about food and particularly about people, the way, the connection between eating and our spirituality. And so it starts with Jesus, um, the John's version of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, plus other women and people, women and children who are also people. So even way more than 5,000. Um, and these people are trying to chase Jesus down afterward. And he keeps like trying to get away. And he finally says before the passage we're going to read, um, you all believe me, not because of the signs and wonders, but because of the bread, because of the way that you were fed at that, you know, in that miraculous moment. And so my focus is on how the sacraments are like a lens that helps us to see differently in the world. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is saying, um, and I'm really just captivated by that verse, like you believe because because you were hungry and I gave you bread, like a thing that you have to eat every day. Jesus meets people in a moment of hunger. Like the basic thing, the, one of the first things we feel when we wake up in the morning is like, my, my stomach is rumbling. Like I am aware, it doesn't matter how spiritually formed I am. I go long enough without breakfast or lunch and my stomach's gonna rumble and everything about my life and my heart and my mind and my energy is oriented toward where am I gonna find something to eat? And so I'm just so compelled by the way that Jesus takes this moment where people are just being people like they're hungry. This is what we do. We hunger, we have desire and need for, for things that sustain us. And Jesus takes this bread and it becomes this lens by which people can see him and his ministry differently. You believe because, because I fed you. And so um, what we're talking about is how the sacrament doesn't just change like our stomachs, it changes our eyes. It changes the way we see Jesus, um, which is illustrated in the John 6 passage. And then it changes the way that we see our neighbor, um, that first Corinthians passage. Like, why would you come and share a meal amongst, amongst the church community and, and make people who don't have enough and who are hungry ashamed? Why would you disgrace the body of Christ like that. Um, because the sacrament, Paul says like, that's not God's meal. Um, the sacrament changes the way that I see the world. It changes the way that I see what, what appeared to be just bread is actually this window into a God who is way bigger than I could understand, but who humbles God's self to this you know, my base, like need for human life. When I wake up in the morning, I need bread in my stomach, you know? Um, and it changes the way I see my neighbor. How could I get together with people who are hungry and gorge myself and then think that that's a reflection of my faith? Like I not only see God closer and more differently, but then I see all of the like normal human stuff and people around me totally differently. Um, anyway, I don't know. I got a lot more to flesh out, but you, yeah. 
I, I, I love that idea of the bread changes my eyes. There's something really captivating of like, I'm just imagining when I eat, I'm supposed to be full. My stomach is full. Um, I no longer have hunger. But what you're saying here is when you eat, it's not just hunger for stomach. It's hunger. For, it, it, it changes how you see the world. So you're messing with these two different senses almost. Yeah. Um, and I, that, 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 that line, the sacrament changes our eyes. That's really compelling. Um, Cause it helps us see clearer and it helps us, excuse the pun, it helps us make sense of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that just made me think of um, uh, how you observe the world. Like if I'm hungry and I'm driving somewhere, everything that could be a snack is like glowing. It's like, you know, I, like I can't see anything else. Um, but, but as I'm fed, literally the way I perceive the world is different. I can see other people I can see. And so, um, really there are these base human things, eating, sleeping, seeing other people, um, being in the world that actually have these deeply impactful ways of, of changing like our perception and presence in the world and our perception and presence of God. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really, really good. So as you kind of prepare for this, um, what does kind of the week look like? Because you've obviously done a lot of the research. You've done a lot of the mulling around. You've let this kind of sit. I mean, you've you've had this six-week sermon series. What does this week look like for you? I love hearing from the community. Um, I am so aware that I can only see out of my own eyes. And often folks have incredible perspectives that I do not have. And so, um, especially with something like this, I don't do all sermons this way, but especially with um, sermons that maybe are on something that lots of people have thought about, um, and it could feel kind of rote, like, we love the sacraments. God shows up. And that's cool. I mean, of course it's cool, but in my congregation, there's a chef. He's actually one of the co-founders of um, the picnic project, a ministry that's on our campus. That's part of our cooperative space. And this dude has worked in the food industry for a really long time, aside from making some of the most delicious food I've ever had in my life. And I have food allergies out the wazoo and he still finds a way to make incredible food. Um, His name's Mark. Anyway, Mark is... Shout out Mark, by the way. Yes, Mark Thompson. So legit. Um, he is... He's like lived his life working in kitchens. And kitchens, when you think about a restaurant kitchen, I'm sure if you don't know anyone who's ever worked in them, you think they're like these fancy, beautiful places. But my understanding of restaurant kitchens so far um, is um, the music is loud. Uh, the language is nuts and the floors are sticky. And so like how real life is that, you know? And so Mark makes food and has worked in kitchens his whole life. And now is this, he now works for the picnic project, but Mark is deeply theological about food. So he spends his life like in this world where he is, you know, waist deep in cutting carrots and 
in um, connecting that with his own personal faith. So this week, uh, my resident expert or my like consultant, I think people in our community are consultants in how they see the world and um, in things they've spent a lot of time thinking about. I want to hear from that. So this week, Mark was my consultant. So I called him and I said, I'm going to word vomit some stuff at you and read you some scripture and you tell me what you think. And so Mark has helped me. He's given me some resources. Um, and that's one of the things I do uh, pretty regularly is if there's somebody in my world or particularly in our church or community who I think might have something powerful to say, I'll just tell them, this is what I'm preaching on. Just give me your reactions. Tell me how that feels. Tell me what, you know, what that means to you. And so Mark was my expert this week. He gave me some great resources and some images and a podcast and, um, and just kind of told me what was compelling in his world. Um, and throughout the week, so I, I try to think of some, at least one person, because we read the scriptures and worship planning and talk, but I want to think of more, how to include more voices. Um, I also listen to the scripture every week. So um, you should, I, I, maybe people will find this irreverent, but I think the Bible is actually way more hilarious than we give it credit for. And listening to it, particularly in Max McLean or what's that guy's name who reads? Anyway, he's like famous for, um, he's read the whole Bible. Uh, and he's, he reads it like a person who is narrating or, um, you know, trying to tell this story. So I try to listen to the scripture early in the week, um, identify somebody that I can talk about it with. And then often Dave and I talk during worship planning and I say, what do you think about this? Um, is this super off base? What do you think our community needs to hear? Or is there something that seems to be going on in our community that might connect to that? Um, and then I try to have big ideas this is embarrassing, Will, but I don't want to lie to you. I try to have big ideas and an outline by, by Thursday. Um, and I am often still editing on Saturday night. So I'm just yeah. gonna, I'm just gonna, uh, um, name that Oscar Romero didn't finish writing his sermons till Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, it's, I think this is beautiful uh, because of all the preachers I've talked with, everybody does it differently. And and you are one that it sounds like you're very intentional about learning from the community that you're serving in, the community of experts like, like Mark, who know all yeah. about food and hearing their story. And, and you kind of give Mark your, I mean, the, I guess Anne Lamont would call it the shitty first draft. And then, yes. <laughs> and then he kind of says, okay, that, that doesn't make sense or add this piece here. And he's helping you put the puzzle piece of the sermon together. Um, and I think it's just, I think it's beautiful because some, sometimes I know I find myself sometimes saying, okay, what do I have to say? Um, what, what interesting things have I thought of, but when you get different people's perspectives and they add into it, it makes it fuller and richer, um, and I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful process of hearing from people who are experts and then reading the Bible out loud. That is, I've never thought about that. Uh, I, I'm going to steal that and start and go to UVerse or whatnot and just have it playing when I'm driving to work. Hearing it is different than reading it. 
Oh, totally. Can I please tell you the first passage I think you should listen to? <laughs> okay, yes, please. Okay, I listened to 1 Corinthians. Um, as I was listening to the 1 Corinthians um, passage, I was just listening to a couple of chapters together. Mm-hmm. And um, the passage about um, women need to cover their heads while they're praying. And, um, and kind of like Paul going off on like a super only applies in his context piece. That's my read of that section. So people can disagree with me if they want, but it's like, like, you know, Paul going off on his culture and and mixing that up with what he's sure about God saying, um, we all do that. I, I, this is an aside. I went to seminary to make peace with Paul and to figure out what it means what freedom really means. Yeah. And I didn't actually make any peace with Paul. So I became a pastor in a local church. And I realized sometimes you're saying something that's totally from God. And then you go off on a ma- random tangent and, and may all of us be a uh, gracious people who come after us, be gracious with us as we occasionally need to be with Paul. So anyway, the passage where he's going on and on about women covering their heads while they pray or whatever. Yeah. And the way Max McLean reads it, um, there's that line that says, because of the angels, which no one knows what that means. What is that women need to cover their heads when they pray because of the angels? What? Um, but he reads it just like that. And so I, on Interstate 95, I'm cracking up listening to the Bible <laughs> being like, I love Christians. We are so quirky. And God makes miracles come from all of us who are a mess. Yeah. Anyway, so go listen to that because... Because of the angels, yeah. First Corinthians eleven. I I got yes. it. That's okay. I'm, that that'll be the first one I turn to when I get back in the car this afternoon. And for those yes, of you listening, awesome. you can push pause on this podcast. Maybe go to the verse and listen to it, and then you can come back. Okay. So, can, I, I want to. Can we move to talk about preaching in general? Because all this cool. stuff is really, really good. Um, what do you think your your preaching niche is? What is kind of your thing? Um, is it movements? Is it gestures? Is it wordsmithing? Is it illustration, storytelling? What is that thing for you that you think is is your sweet spot? Well, God bless my people who are so patient with me. I think they would say, I do a lot of moving, but I don't know that it's helpful or good. Um, occasionally, they'll poke fun at me like, we knew you really meant what you said this morning because you got up on your tiptoes and you started moving your left arm a bunch. That's how we know you're really serious. Um, <laughs> they're so good. Um, you know, I mean, well, I think my, this is unfortunate because I don't really want to be this. I don't love this thing, but I think, um, I think part of one of the things that is a part of my call is um, saying a difficult thing to people that I love. Um, And not because they're not, they don't want to hear it, but you know, there's times where, I don't know if you have this, but there are times where you're reading something in the scriptures and you're like, oh, that directly applies to this situation right now. Oh, and it's going to hurt for us to have to talk about it because it's easier for us to leave it unaddressed. I, I often feel God tugging me in that moment to, to be like, if it's true, we need to say it. And, um, real community is a place where you can talk about hard things. And so I think I want to be, I'm not sure I'm here, but I want to be a courageous preacher that models what it means to say hard things in a community of love. Um, and I think sometimes that gets confused with, 
I don't know if this was your read of seminary, but I felt like in seminary, everybody wanted to be a prophetic preacher. And that just meant they wanted to say things that pissed people off. But like, it, that's not a costly thing to say if you don't love those people. That's just you being a jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I read the prophets, the prophets, like, it aches their hearts to say hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I do think the community of God, the family that God makes, if we're anything, we should be people who can say hard things and who are comfortable enough with loving each other that we can be real. And so I think that's really my aim is like, how do I be as real as I can about myself and about the text and about what I think it's saying to us? Um, because even when it's scary, you know, Brene Brown is like, that's how you live wholehearted, like doing scary things, but doing them because you know, they're deeply meaningful and being vulnerable. And I think God told us that before Brene did, even though we should make her a Methodist saint. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think I think when I've heard you preach, you have, there's this sense of a deep community, um, not just for the people that are there, but the the space in which you inhabit, the local community of Sanford. Um, like it, it's it's always about these relationships with people, um, and I think I, I hear that in you of to have that true authentic relationship, you have to have those difficult conversations, not out of spite, not out of hate, not out of it's it's out of love for one another. Um, and I think I've experienced that when, even just when, when we talk, when you and I are talking right now, you're sharing your love for the community with the picnic project and with those people that you reach out to, to hear their thoughts. And like, you're, you're trying to create this, this beloved community. Um, but you, ha- you say those loving things in that beloved community. Well, I also think, and I, I hope that we can do that. I want to do that. Um, I also think that as a preacher, um, I need to be willing and able to hear my people also tell me difficult things. Because again, like me saying hard stuff at people and then dodging (laughs) and then being like, um, I don't want to read the emails or whatever. um, That's not courageous either. (laughs) Uh, And if I think that part of being human is being able to talk about hard stuff, then I've also got to be human enough to hear hard things. So one of the things that I really love about my people is they tell me when I am too big for my britches. And also they tell me when I'm way out of line. They tell me when, um, when, you know, there's something they read that was different. And, and I love that because I think you can only be real with people you you really love. Um, it's not worth it to risk being real with people you don't love. And so I'm like, oh, sometimes I need them to tell me, like, yeah. you're, yeah. you know, you're too big for your britches, Megan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the openness, and that's what that's what creates that relationship. The openness that you have towards the congregation, and the congregation's openness towards you, and that reciprocation. Yeah. So. Is there ever a time when you're thinking about speaking these these things in love as a preacher? Was there ever a time when a sermon was hard to preach? But you're like, I like, can you think of one specific? Oh, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> What's that one thing yes. that comes to mind? Well, um, 
do you remember the week that the father and child washed up on the shore um and i mean in the middle of like we're still in the middle of some major immigration crises but folks fleeing all sorts of places and there was that image in the media of the dad and the toddler yeah um sorry i still i got a toddler at home you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and um yeah there was a really I mean, my congregation is politically divided. We have a lot of theological diversity. Um, But the Bible is just so clear on looking your neighbor in the face and feeling with people who who have no place to call home. And, um, you know, we we talked about immigration. Like, we we might disagree on immigration policy, um, but this was um, that week I preached on... um, the way in which our call with the Good Samaritan story, um, like we cannot escape as Christians seeing the people on the other sides of all the roads we're on. And, um, you know, there was some pushback uh, (laughs) and that I knew would be there. Um, But I don't know, I feel like, even folks who maybe didn't love the things that I had to say um, in the context of our relationship, we were able to say, okay, what, but what does God, what does God say about this? Like, how can we maintain our Christian values and, and find a way that God's calling us here? Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank, thank you for sharing that. That's a beautiful story. So I want to shift gears just for a sec. Um, as you've been preaching, um, I'm sure you've learned things along the way, um, how to say things, how to preach, your, your style shifted. What are you learning now about your preaching? Okay, so I'm learning that my style of preaching, um, you know, there's some folks who are, are who are so good at um lots of different styles of preaching. Dave is an incredible manuscript preacher. Um, I know Allie Wilcox is. And I, for me, depending on the subject, um, my style changes. And I think part of what I've been learning is giving myself permission for that to be different. Um, There are some weeks when I need to be very um, thoughtful about the way I put every word together. Mm -hmm. And then for me, there are some weeks where I think I'll get more buy-in from people if I um, pour it into my heart all week, you know, and that both of those things are valid and that they both can be valid in my preaching context. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That's been a hard thing for me because I feel like sometimes there's camps, like everybody's sure their thing is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within my own self, um, there are some weeks that the text or the approach or the topic seems like it needs to be more look this is your pastor like raw in front of you sharing how god is shaping my heart and then other times when this is so important i need to think through every single every single word um yeah form follows function so the function in which you want to convey a message the form follows that so whether you're you want to I think about for me when general conference happened, I, I don't I don't use notes. I ha, I ha, 
I have to be out in front of people. I want to use my hands. I want to use slides. But I pulled a pulpit out and put it in the center of the stage and read my manuscript. Yes, dude. Yes. Because the function of that sermon required that form. Um, yes. And, yeah. And I don't think every everybody, I don't think you have to stick with one. Um, if you want to have be manuscript, manuscript, if you want to have butcher paper on the ground and read it from the ground, if you want to have your notes in the back, if you want to just have bullet points, if you just want to tell three stories and that's it. I, I think I th I've found that that the function of the sermon, the performative function, or, or how you want people to hear it, shapes the form and how you give it. Yes. Uh, you just summarized um, form follows function is the only thing I remember from AP Art History. Um, <laughs> I, you're, thank you. I feel like you just gave me permission, Will. I, yeah. I, I swear all of these podcasts have been so helpful for me. Like people giving me permission it's been such a gift because I'm like oh yeah God does really beautiful valid diverse things in in really diverse different people and that's okay um mm, well I need to hear that today yeah. man thank you yeah 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 I think it's it's when I of all you know I've done a lot of these podcasts now but I think I'm learning that we all do it differently and we can all take from different people and continue to learn um we're all preaching on our learning our craft and and trying new things and and sometimes those things fail miserably and we say no nope, that didn't work it didn't work um, and that's okay we, we tried it it's a part of the art um and i uh, oh, that's yeah. that's, why, that's one of my favorite parts about this whole thing Oh, I love that. And what a way to model. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of preaching is modeling. Um, not like clothes, obviously. Thank <laughs> God for robes. I love my robe. I don't have to think about what I'm wearing. Anyway, um, I think a lot of preaching is, is modeling, like what is courage? What does, how does scripture apply? Like, how do we live in this world together? Um, and in that way, the function is modeling something like there are some things that are important enough that we need um, to think about every, every phrase. And then there are some things that are raw enough that we need to pour our hearts out in front of people and maybe mm -hmm. get a little messy. And my people are so sweet when I'm a whole hot mess, because there are some weeks when I'm just, um, I'm like, we have to talk about this. And this is hard and beautiful and strange and scary and courageous and yeah. And you don't want to, you don't, I think you don't want to bleed on your people. Uh, I think no, that's, no, that's, no, a, no, that's no. a boundary we have of knowing what's oh, appropriate, yes. acceptable. But when you're, when you're vulnerable with your congregation, they're able to connect with you and you're able to connect with them. And that's, that's the key part of preaching to connect with them and, and share that honesty. Oh yeah. And I think the line between, I mean, when vulnerability is scary, when I think this is in the prophets too, like when you have to say a thing that's hard, but you say, but you say the thing that's difficult, um, that's when it's God, when dumping your, you know, guts all over anyone or, or any congregation <laughs> is about you. That's not scary. That's to serve your own purpose. So I yeah. think that's how we kind of check, like, when is it that we say this is difficult enough that we talk about hard things, um, even when it's hard versus like, you know, yeah, bleed yeah. now. We don't yeah. want to do that. No good. Yeah. All right. Well, 
we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, are there any final things you'd want to share with preachers or people who are listening? You know, this is pretty like tropey, I guess, but um, occasionally other people or God has to remind me, it doesn't matter what you do and how like super cool and smart you think you are and um, all the bajillions of Bible classes that you could take and all of that. I mean, of course it's important. I, I want to, I, I like an educated clergy. I think all of those, you know, we want to be shaped and formed by the method like um, Bishop Sue talked about, but for me, I needed to be reminded the thing that makes preaching powerful is the Holy Spirit. It's not all those other things are tools that God can use. And I want to do the very best that I can. But there have been weeks where I thought I crafted something that was really beautiful. And in the moment, you can just feel like, oh, was this about me thinking I, I wrote a cool thing? You know, was this about or or like where is the power? And there have been weeks, and I'll tell you this because I have a one-year-old. Um, Elijah was uh, maybe 11 weeks old, and I got to the end of weeks, and I'd be like, okay, God, you better do something because I don't have 25 hours to study and read and ask and search and whatever. And Will, I'm telling you, there are weeks where God took the measly crumbs and the garbage preparation. And I don't think we should do this on purpose, but weeks when I said, God, this is the best thing I have to offer. And like, I am amazed if God makes something beautiful out of that, that is miraculous. Cause I know how much of, you know, how much I, I didn't, I couldn't do all the things I wanted to do, but that God can still show up. And so um, it reminds me on my weeks when I have all these things and I think I'm really awesome. It reminds me like, it doesn't matter what you, what you do. If God is not here, if I'm not wanting to speak the truth that God has laid on my heart. And in the same way, when I feel like I've done my best and I just, and it's not good. Um, I still hold on to the hope that God can show up and make something powerful happen. And so my encouragement to preachers is um, don't forget the Holy spirit. Uh, because the spirit is what makes it, makes it real. Yeah. yeah spirit what's an, it animates it. Um, yes. spirit works in the preparation. It, it works in the non-preparation. I mean, you don't want to, but the spirit animates all of this and the experience that you have with your congregation online in person. Uh, if we're missing the spirit, well, it's just a, just a, I don't know, just flesh. We're missing something. Yeah. That's a really good reminder. Well, I've got one more question for you, Megan. Um, what yes. has been a book that has made a big impact on you in the last six months? Uh, a novel, uh, fiction, nonfiction, commentary? Uh, I don't know if Dave told you what he said, but I'll... <laughs> I, uh, he probably said a kid's book. He loves kid's books. <laughs> he said, oh, the places you will go. Oh, is... I, you know what? I listened to his. Yes. <laughs> because I bet... I didn't hear the end of his, but I said, he said, um, but if not, or no, yeah. no, that's his, that's his quote from, um, Old Testament. His, his line is, um, except when you don't, because except sometimes you, you won't. Yep. It's so good. He's so good. Um, okay. So for me, uh, there is a book called love poems from God. It is a book of mystics that are compiled the young the most recent writing i think is 700 years old 
And it is a compilation of mystics. Um, it gives a little intro to their their life and experience. And then it's their poems and um, poetry and prayers. And I love it because, well, I love mystics, but also I love it because they do this really beautiful thing. So many of them were, you know, in times of trial or tumultuous circumstances. Um, I see one of the things that brings them all together is the way that they increasingly see God in even the most mundane of, of places. And that's been a great gift to me, particularly raising an infant right now. Cause I'm like, yes, God is here in diaper changing. God yeah. is here when the boogers are everywhere. And I, all I have to offer is weakness. Like can God make strength out of that? You yeah. know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So love poems from God. So cool. Love poems from God. Oh, that's beautiful. Sounds, it reminds me of a, a liturgy for every day. Um, yes. I don't know if there's a book and it's like, it creates, it has like liturgy of over coffee or a liturgy over, um, taking a shower. That's what, it, that's, yes. that's what it reminds me of, except that's not written by mystics. No, but I love that. I think that's the thing that brings them together um, yeah. is mystics. We think they're these like high and mighty people living on a mountain. And they're like, you know what? God showed up to me today in a cup of coffee and a bird. And I'm like, yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Megan, thank you. This has been, there's so many things here. Uh, my notebook is full of just notes and thoughts and ideas that you've had. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, you're the best, dude. I, um, yeah, thank you. I feel so honored that you had me on. And um, yeah, just thank you. Thank you so much. And um, sometime in the future, I need to have a cup of, a, of the fancy coffee I keep hearing about. I hear you drink very fancy, meticulously organized co or, or arranged coffee. And I am here for that. Okay. <laughs> if you, we have espresso, Nespresso, we have drip, we have Chemex flavored beans uh, we we can do that for sure i love it okay that'll be the next time we're in jacksonville i need to have a cup of your fancy coffee yeah stop, come and stop by for sure awesome all right um well thank you will you're welcome Megan. thanks